This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Kamaregal people of the Gurungai tribe of the Eora Nation. I pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging, and I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may be listening. Hi, my name's Luan and this is the Rewritten Mead podcast, where I talk all things breast reconstruction after a mastectomy. Because let's say it like it is, having a mastectomy can be devastating. Sifting through all the information is overwhelming, the medical jargon's bamboozling, and it can be just plain scary and lonely. But you're not alone. That's why we're here. On the Rewritten Me pod, I talk to leading surgeons about all aspects of reconstruction. Nipples, belly buttons, foobs, Dieppe flap, and staying flat. I also talk to healthcare professionals who can help with everyday practical advice to support your mental, physical and emotional well-being. And I talk to the wonderful women from our reconstruction community who so generously share their stories with you. We're all here to help you make an holistic, informed decision that's right for you so that you can have a say in how you rewrite your story. Hi everyone, welcome back to Rewritten Me. Today we are talking about social media, in particular Instagram, and how it's being used in our wider community. Because no matter what you think of it, social media in one form or another is here to stay, and people are using it for information gathering, including researching their reconstruction options. That's why I'm so very happy that I'm joined today by Liz O'Riordan. Liz is an international speaker, broadcaster, and award-winning co-author of The Complete Guide to Breast Cancer, How to Feel Empowered and Take Control which is actually one of the books I bought when I was diagnosed and I devoured during treatment. In 2015, aged 40, Liz was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer whilst working as a consultant breast surgeon. A local regional recurrence in 2018 forced her to retire as a surgeon. Her memoir, Under the Knife, has just been released and I'm actually in the middle of reading that one too. Liz now talks all over the world about how to improve patient care. In 2020, she launched her podcast, Don't Ignore the Elephant, that talks about the things that no one else does, like sex, death, and body image. And Liz is passionate about promoting the benefits of exercise for cancer patients, which is something that she features on her Instagram account. Liz uses her medical knowledge and lived experience to inform and educate about a wide range of topics relating to breast cancer on Instagram discussions about mental health on Instagram Lives, or shorter form reels where she addresses questions such as, how do I check my breasts after a mastectomy? And she also calls out the misinformation that is out there. So that's why I'm very pleased to say, good morning, good evening from Sydney. Liz, how are you? I'm really good today. I can't wait to talk to you. Um, Yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah, it is. Thank you so much for joining us. you're in the UK, that's why I was saying good morning to you, and it's it's evening here in Sydney. Yes. And yeah. So it's a little bit earlier for you there today. And also it's uh just thinking about it, it's not just that, it's a different season as well, because we're different hemispheres. You're you're a summer there, aren't you? How's it going there? Yeah, we are. We're actually getting sunshine. Actually, the garden could do with rain. It gets really, 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 really dry. So we're in that kind yeah. of weird UK summer. You get two weeks of heat and then it's all gone. Before we started to talk about Instagram and how you use it, I just wanted to congratulate you on the book, Under the Knife, which I am currently reading. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. I'm, um, I'm really enjoying it. 
But also what I wanted to say was that I'm finding it really interesting because I know you from Instagram and I watch you on Instagram. Mm. As I'm reading the book, I can actually hear your voice. It's almost like an internal audio oh, really? that's happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got this, yeah, kind of thing going on. But um, we'll get to talking about that later, I'm sure. Um, but let's talk about Instagram and social media. It, I mean, I like to use Instagram because it is a... It's an open, freely accessible platform. And I'm really passionate about equity of access to evidence-based information. Mm. Um, that's my passion. But obviously on social media, it's not always evidence-based information. So you use Instagram a lot, don't you? Is that your main um, main channel, your main platform? It's, it's not, actually. Um, and I was dragged kicking and screaming in, into Instagram. I first started using Twitter. My husband mm. was the Twitter geek and I joined it and I started talking about triathlons and baking. And then when I was diagnosed back in 2015, I thought, I can't not talk about this for nine months. People are going to recognize me in the hospital where I work. So I told Twitter the day I found out I had breast cancer and it changed my life. Doctors who'd had it told me what to do. Patients gave me information. I could talk to oncologists about second opinions. It was just this wealth of information. And at the time, it was a really happy, friendly place. It mainly still is. I could find out what was going on at conferences. I could share. And I started writing a blog. And it was a way of helping doctors and nurses and patients understand what it's like without being scary. So yeah. Twitter was my cancer space. And then I got, I thought, I can't be asked to do another platform. But I, I quite like Instagram from a crafting point of view. So that was where I followed knitting and sewing patterns and put a bit about hedgehogs and exercise. It was my cancer-free space. Mm. And then when I started writing my memoir, um, a lot of publishers said it won't sell because you don't have a following on Instagram. I had about a thousand followers. They said, go away when you've got 20,000 and then we might be able to sell your book. And I went, seriously? Yeah. So in six months, and this must have been in either 21 or 22, I worked my bum off to get yeah. to 10,000 followers in six months. And I suddenly started thinking, right, I need to put breast cancer content out there. And Instagram is pictures. So if I started doing videos and learning how to caption and that led to people loving what I was doing. And then mm. Instagram is, it's a different space. Um, mm. But I actually love doing the videos to explain and engaging with people and sharing in a very, very different way. Yeah, it is a very different space. I don't use Twitter at all. I've, I never really have. And when I started doing patient advocacy, I looked at it and I just thought, oh gosh, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm just not going to get into into that but I find yeah. it interesting yeah yeah that you've gone from from Twitter to Instagram and that whole learning around that as well but motivated oh, it's, it's yeah. huge the whole different but actually I like Instagram because people can see everything you've done on Twitter it's very no one's going to scroll back through my Twitter feed to see what I posted mm. five hours ago because there may be different things there whereas on Instagram and again like my YouTube channel it's easier for patients to find because I say have you done a video on collagen yes scroll all the way back through but I quite like also being able to see what I've done yes. but it was hard work learning to like the sound of my own voice and to see myself on camera and speak into a camera and learning learning what the audience responded to I think if mm. you're doing it as kind of like a career what I want to say may not be what you want to hear mm. yeah if that makes sense and yeah yeah it does doesn't it and it is about thinking why are you why are you doing it I mean I yeah. originally went on to Instagram I kind of I kind of um I was really private actually about my cancer diagnosis initially and a only handful mm -hmm. of people knew and even though I was posting things on my private Facebook page 
people in the UK didn't didn't know I hadn't told them that I was going through that and I kind of went public on Instagram and that's where mm-hmm. I really for me it was about um my intent initially was about that I wanted to document my recovery from my DEP so for listeners I've had a DEP reconstruction yeah. taken tissue from the tummy and a breast reconstructed and I bl- microblogged I call it 100 days DEP hashtag but that was my intent there and I guess I'd never really reflected on how that might be a good kind of uh, interpreted or consumed by anybody mm. else it was really self-serving to start off with so it's interesting how yeah. I get into it and then explore it isn't it and I think a lot of patients start off so my blog was a bit like that it was a way for me to tell myself I actually had cancer because I was in denial and by writing about it it would slowly start to sink in I think a lot mm. of people just use Instagram to share their story to put stuff out there and see what happens and when mm. you're reading, the, I mean, there's so much content. You can connect with people all over the world who've got whatever you have. It's mm. remembering that we're just telling you what we want you to know. We're not showing yeah. you the nuts and bolts and, and the warts and all. But when I started using it to educate people, it was mm. quite hard coming up with ideas. So I then started doing stories saying, what do you want me to know? Oh, great. That's 50 things for my next content sorted. And, and you're giving people what they need. Yeah. I find it interesting as well you say about listening to your own voice or seeing yourself on video is exactly the, the, the same. I um I did a, my first Instagram live about 18 months ago and a mm-hmm. surgeon said, do you want to do an Instagram live? And I was like, no, I don't. I don't, I don't like, no, <laughs> why would I want to do that? But actually it was like the first, it was a Q&A with a surgeon and the audience could ask them anything about reconstruction and it became a series last yeah. year. And yeah, just kind of, I've got over myself a little bit, you know, I was just like, well, I think for me, I was thinking, I want to do something that I think is done, in, you know, that is evidence-based and I want it to be out there yes. and to take that space before it becomes like the wild west of information. Yes. Um, yeah. So you use your, you're using lives and you're using reels, which I find really interesting, mm. really interesting, no pun, um, to answer questions like you said that you've asked the audience or your followers or community yeah. how do you view how do you view them do you view them as a community a complete community i yeah they they keep me going if i can just help one person and say thank you for explaining it, it's made a difference i feel i've done my job and there are yeah. incredible people incredible women who will reply and say a comment to every single thing i post it's a real community and yeah i don't need to do any of this but i know they like what i'm doing and, and i want to help them yeah. And I yeah. think when I first started posting, I got so I still do. I get so many questions in the comments and the messages. And you try to keep up the blubbing Instagram algorithm. You have to reply to every comment to feed the beast. Um, yeah. I thought I'm wasting, not wasting. I'm spending a lot of time answering personal questions, not giving personal medical advice, but general information. Actually, mm. it's better to use that in a reel or a video so everybody can see it. Yeah. And it was learning to use my time better to help everybody rather than one person. But I spend... I could spend two or three hours scripting a video or a reel, fact-checking. And I don't always say this, but everything I put is out there. It's evidence-based. It's not just mm. off the cuff. Mm. Um, and it takes an awful lot of time to do that. And I realized I spent hours faffing on Canva looking for fancy graphics and what can I do in the branding. And actually, the reels have got the most likes where it's just me talking to camera. So I got rid of all of that. I think for me, it's just about the content. It's not showy yeah. or glitzy. It's, it's just me in front of a camera with my badly done captions, but I'm giving you information. I think your captions are great, but I think you're right. It's well, I'm about... learning, but I'm learning. It's are which app do you use yeah. and which font? Oh God, there's a new thing. And do you jump on the latest bandwagon? And my yeah. time is precious. But yeah. it's that way of just putting it out there and knowing. Yeah. But I think we need to be better at working out 
as you said, are people telling us the truth? Are they giving us their opinion or what they can remember or have they researched it and is what they're saying accurate? Because I did this, this is really interesting. Um, the top 50 books about cancer at the minute, a lot written by doctors and a lot of them aren't medical oncology doctors. They may be doctors who've got a PhD or in biochemistry or no knowledge of cancer at all. But I, I did a Twitter poll and most people assumed if a book's written by a doctor and it's to do with cancer or diet, they're oncologists or cancer doctors. So you can write anything assumption. you like. In, yeah, you can write mm. anything you like in a book. Nobody fact checked The Complete Guide to Breast Cancer. My editors assumed that everything I had written was true, but they're not wow. fact-checking it. They're just editing it and copywriting it. You can yeah. put anything in a book, and because it's in a book, it must be true. It's like influencers can say on a video, sugar yeah. causes cancer or kiwis are dangerous. Well, he's got a million followers. It must be true. Let's spread the mm. word. And that's mm. how it starts. Mm. Mm. I'm a bit blown away, actually, by the fact-checking uh, lack of rather for the for you the, could for the you book. could write rubbish and upload it to Amazon now as a Kindle book for people to buy. Yeah. No one fact checks. That's quite scary, isn't it? Yeah, mm. and yeah, the yeah, and it's so this concern is like when you're looking at that information and you are um, you are taken in and you're looking for the for the veracity of it and uh, yeah. of it. That's like you say, the number of followers is not an, is not indicative of that. That could be that whatever is being presented is being packaged. It's almost like the juice carton, isn't it? The juice is, yes. you know, is the juice good and the packaging, exactly. it doesn't matter? And, or is the packaging good and the juice is rubbish? And a lot of these influencers, they've got teams working with them. They know how to get mm. the hooks and the sexy wording and they know how to mm. do it. And it's a bit like TripAdvisor. You know, you're looking at mm. a restaurant. It's only got two reviews. I won't go there. That doesn't mm. mean it's a bad restaurant, but we are so, mm. and I'm guilty, shallow and superficial. You know, mm. you're looking for two mm. plumbers. The one with a flashy website is the one that will get my... Mm. my business it's crazy yeah and sorry it's just a slight digression on that it's interesting mm. about that with the website as well when I was looking for a breast surgeon and that's because um yeah healthcare is a little bit different here in Australia we've got two systems very much of public and private but yeah looking for a surgeon I was like well you know if if have they got a website what does it look like but actually the busy surgeons don't have time to be doing don't have the time <laughs> and most this I I had no idea there was a whole cancer space online because I never looked for it because I didn't yeah. have cancer. Yeah. Most surgeons don't realize that patients are looking for all this information. Mm. Mm. And yeah, I think I quite a few are using Instagram to sell themselves. And I think that's the wrong place. I don't think you should be saying, this is how great I am on Instagram. You should be giving mm. information. And if your mm. information is useful, patients will then go and have a look and see. Because mm. I, I don't want to be sold it. But again, it's how much money do you spend on a website? Do you spend $100? Do you do it yourself? You don't realize how important it is. Yeah, yeah. And it and shouldn't it, be. No, And no, thank God shouldn't. in the NHS, people are just referred to me and hopefully they like me as a person. I can show them a few pictures. But if suddenly mm. my job depended on my website, it's a whole other skill to learn that you don't have time to do. No, no. And, 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 and fact checking. I know some of the surgeons that I've and, talked to, they're like, they'd like, well, I'd like to have some information out there, but I would have to check everything before it went. Exactly. Up, quite rightly. But that involves time. It does. And the do? glowing testimonials, they could be mm. made up. Mm. No one knows yeah. if they're written or they came from, you don't, you put up the best, you don't put up the bad testimonials or the complaints. You've got no way of knowing if they're true. No, no. And it's, it's actually interesting. And, um, in Australia, there have actually just been some uh, 
some rule changes with regards to testimonials being published mm -hmm. on social media and before and after photographs, how they're presented and things like that. So there are some really Good. strict guidelines like banning. You're not allowed testimonials, uh, cosmetic and plastic surgeons, that is. Yeah. Um, and they can't uh, allow comments on their social media that could, that where people yeah. could make a comment that could be seen as a testimonial. So lots of changes are happening here. But yeah, it's about thinking, well, how are you using that space? What are you using it for? Is that exactly? Uh, is it to inform? Is it to educate? Or is it as a an advertising um, platform? And I think people are still trying to figure it out here. I feel in yeah, I feel in Australia we're just a little bit not using Instagram in the, this cancer community, cancer space as much as they are in the US and the UK. Um, I, I mean, and even my friends, you know, well, I didn't know like you, I didn't know there was a, a community online. No, in an um, in Australia um and my friends don't when I tell them about it they're like how can you connect into all these people they don't understand how we get so close on uh, on Instagram and what real strength there is in there so yeah I think there's lots of people here trying to figure out how best to use it um yeah but I that's good I think for them to be considering it before kind of jumping in I think it it's an incredible platform you for, for a lot of patients just to share their story and connect and see pictures and stories of other women going through the same thing at the same time. And I've made incredibly close friends on Instagram that I have never met mm. all over the world. Mm. They're kind of the people I go to. It's a real community of people sharing. Mm. But from an information giving space, it's like a library where you can help and you can, you can talk about, you realize what patients, as a doctor, what patients really want to know. And often mm. it's supplements and food and should I do this? Things I never talked about as a doctor. Mm. And realizing there are different ways to help people and to learn from them. I think yeah. it's incredible. I do. Absolutely. I do. And I think, um, and I think, as you said, there's a difference as well between what a doctor may be saying and what somebody with lived experience said. We talk about how, you know, a doctor will tell you what's going to happen, but a patient who's lived through it will tell you how to cope with it. Oh, I'm there. I had, I yeah. thought I knew what chemo was like. I had no idea. Um, and I don't, I don't mind if every breast surgeon in the world is doing the same videos. It's another way of getting good, accurate content out there to reinforce mm. that message. Yeah. Copy yeah. and replicate. Oh, they're doing yeah. it really well. Let me have a look. Oh, okay. I can do that. Mm. It's, I think you're missing a trick if you're not on social media now, because yeah. a lot of doctors are scared of being trolled by patients. I did a, I did a webinar at the Royal College of Surgeons to help them get onto social mm. media. And most were saying, what if I'm trolled? What if patients mm. come to me? What if they find out where I live? They are scared of that. Mm. And it does happen, but it's the minority. And I think yeah. it's realizing it is a safe, friendly space for you to share, encourage, connect. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think as well that, yeah, the patient-medical uh, professional relationship there, whether it's trolling or the kind of, the, um, I think some of the guidelines that we have here is about being mm. mindful of um you know, responding to patient inquiries that are coming through social and that, media and things like that. I think that's the thing. So mm. it's very hard to turn off messages and turn off mm. comments. And I've had to learn, now I've got a bigger platform. I don't have to reply to every comment. I don't reply to every direct message. I don't think people expect it, but you it's, it's like a beast. You suddenly have 10 messages and you're answering them at 10 o'clock at night and think, well, this is not my working mm. hours. And my job is not to give advice through Instagram, my job is, if you're a doctor, your job is to put information out there. Yeah, yeah. And maybe have an auto-reply that says, I'm really sorry, I don't reply to direct messages. Yeah. Um, because it's really hard as a doctor, you want to help. Yes. 
Yes, and that's what what I struggle with. It's, you know, trying to keep Instagram as a job that I look at between nine to five and saying, I can't answer this. That's not my job. You don't expect it from me because otherwise you're working for free for the world, Mm. giving that information away. And it's really, really hard. Mm. And and when you say the world as well, like you you mentioned, you know, you were connected to people all around the world. So those Mm. messages and those comments are coming through at all hours. So it's really hard to keep it It in that nine to five. But I think the world is brilliant. There are so many communities that don't have good health information. So it spent us two years to Mm. try and get the complete guide to breast cancer into Russian. People in countries of India, Southern Africa, where they don't have a lot of medical information, their doctors don't tell them this stuff, they are desperate. Mm. So it's trying just to get that information out there. It's incredible when they respond to you. But for me, I have to learn to step back and say, Mm. it's not my job to reply to the 50 DMs I get on Twitter and then Instagram and then YouTube and Facebook. It's too much. Yeah. I just put the information out there. But what actually happens is my followers reply for me. Someone will ask a question and someone will say, oh, but I had this. And then they kind of have a discussion. It's like, oh, great, guys, go. That's community, isn't it? It is. But I think one thing is you can become quite lazy. You rely on social media for your education. We forget how to look for ourselves. And someone asked me a question, like, is it safe to take collagen? And the party wants to say, what have you found when you looked at yourself? Have you gone into Google and seen if you can find sensible charity websites Mm. doing it? Or are you just coming to me and I'll do the research for you? And I think we've forgotten how to research and trust and investigate for ourselves and learn what is a good source of information. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that I've referred to in the past as kind of informed question asking. So Mm. look, there's no silly question, but it's saying before you ask the question, do you want to firstly consider it what you do know already and what you want from this? speak to, you know, get some evidence-based research, have a, you know, go out there and have a look, be careful of Dr. Yeah. Google, but go out there and find that. And then maybe talk to somebody else who has that experience. And those kind of three things can triangulate into yeah. like an informed, an informed question. Definitely. But, and um, I think it, yeah. sorry, it also depends on the question you ask. So when I was mm. looking to see what Zolodex was like, an injection, you have to switch off your ovaries. If I put into Google, how painful is Zolodex? I'm going to get a load of blogs of people saying, oh my God, it's awful. But if yeah. I was to say, what is a Zolodex injection like? I may get a lot of women saying, actually, it's not that bad. Yes, because it's a leading question, isn't it? It's a very leading pe- question. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting, actually. Um, that's a brilliant point. Thank you for, for bringing that. Because, yeah, it is, isn't it? You know, how painful is chemo? Is chemo awful? Well, yes, it is. But, you know, like we get through, don't we? Um, I just wanted to just talk when you mentioned around the world there and that information mm. and that community. I just wanted to um, acknowledge the strength that is in that as well with regards to the connections that you're making and the contributions that you do make as well. Because I was chatting to Dr. Minas Krasopoulou recently about oh, the he's lovely, app, isn't he? He's been on the pod and you were on the advocacy uh, yeah. team, weren't you, for that? Yeah, uh, I was, yeah. I, the coming together there through Terry from DHC and oh Deep Sea as they call it over there. Um, they do, don't they? The, yeah, Deep. <laughs> um, that's just you know there is so much that can come and feed in through these collaborations that we make, and as you say, amplifying the the content that other people create as well um, can make yeah. such a difference to people. Um, so just thinking there about. Um, what you talked about there about the question asking. So what you're putting into mm. Google when you're searching there. It, it's made me think of something that we were talking about before and you've talked about on your Instagram, which is about the crap test, sometimes called the yes, carp test. Yes, and it's test. in the book. 
and yes, it's in the book yes. as well. Yes. And um, now I was familiar with the crap test because um, at my university, University of Sydney, I came to Australia to study there. That was one of the things that they told you about when you were doing your research um, for that. Oh. So, Yes, yes, it's part of the um, kind of uh, learning skills module and, you know, the library information um, yeah. kind of, uh, guides and things like that. So the crap test. Let's talk about the crap test because I think for audiences, we've been talking about it. If they're, if they're taking in information from somebody who has a million yeah. followers that's telling them that, that sugar's going to bring their cancer back, um, what is the crap test and how can they use it in, in any setting for information literacy I guess so it was developed by uh, an American doctor called Skylar Johnson and I've got the old one here you're going to tell me it's updated I think a lot of us when you've had cancer you're desperate for hope for one person to say this will cure you this will save you and you you can Mm. believe a lot because you've got that fear behind you he Mm. says if you see anything online there are four things that you need to consider the C is is this a conspiracy or is it too good to be true can you find this on other websites that are saying if something is too good to be true, the chances are it is. There are no miracle cures. Mm. Then he's talking about requests for money. And it's amazing how often people are telling you, say, mushrooms cure cancer. And look, you can buy mushrooms on my website. Are they making money out of the claim? Because most doctors don't sell stuff. We prescribe drugs, but if they're making money, the chances are it's not what they say it is. And then the anecdotes, the stories, you know, we don't know where they come from. They could have made up someone saying, oh my goodness, you you, you cured my life. And all too often people developing cancer claims, they've had full cancer treatment themselves. There's a guy called Chris Beats Cancer who didn't have chemo and he says he's cured himself with juicing, but actually he had surgery to remove the cancer. When you dig deep and find out what treatments people have had, it can really make you think, are their claims true? And then finally, it's the publisher. Is this information being put on a big cancer charity website or are they doing it themselves? Yeah. No one's fact checking, yeah. no one's double checking it. They're just putting stuff out there to make money. They've got a book to sell. Yeah. Yeah. But you said there's a new A, didn't you, Luanne? Yeah, there was another A, and it's in relation to the the crap that is um, sorry the crap test um, that is <laughs> the crap that's out there. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's about um, accuracy um, and looking at the accuracy of it. It's it's just added into there, um, you know, the truthfulness of it, or and you know, is it supported as you said by evidence? Yeah. So I think that's just something that's just recently, you know, it, it evolves all the time, but. Yeah. Um, I think it's a really good question to ask yourself, is this crap? <laughs> yeah, but this is really interesting about being supported. There's a thing which I don't believe in called the Dutch test, which is looking at the amount of hormones in your urine to assess your hormone imbalance as a woman. And I think it's bullshit. I'm going to say that. But when you mm. put it into Google, you have to go through five full pages of Google to get to someone that says this is wrong because they've kind of bought up all the websites and first. So it's really, really hard to find information. There are great places you can go to search. So Google Scholar and PubMed as scientific mm. basis of papers where you can go and have a look to see what is the evidence for this. Yes, yes. And that is really interesting, isn't it? That it's and I'm and I'm guilty of it. I Google something, I don't think I ever look beyond the first page. So I might no. ignore the ads at the top, you know, I'll be a bit Yeah in air quotes, discerning. Yeah. I think I'm being discerning by ignoring the ads. But actually, I never go beyond the the the, the, sec, the no. first page. No, no. And I did this um, with the Dutch test because I think it's rubbish. But it took so long to find an incredible journalist who's actually broken everything down and said, this is why. And mm. 
why the companies have brought up all the first five pages on Google. But you really need mm. to think. And how many of us have got the time? Most yes. of us don't watch a full 60 second reel. They just get the two or three headlines, you know, a couple of seconds, mushrooms cure cancer, right? That's me done. I'm off to get mushrooms. Yeah, I trust yeah. that what I'm being told is true. It's like yes. with a podcast guest. You are not going to go away and fact check every single thing I tell you. You're assuming what I'm saying is right and you're going to put it out there. Yeah, I actually, and I, and I do, and this is an independent podcast that is, is uh, you know, is, is not funded in any way. So I don't have any producers to go off and do any fact checking for that. So I do, the surgeons that I have on you, that's on, I, I, I assume that that is. Yeah, uh, we all do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just wanted to mention, you mentioned PubMed there, and I just wanted to do mm. a flag. We mentioned Dr. C earlier in the Breast Advocate app. Um, they actually, if there's anything that's on open access on PubMed that relates to breast cancer, it actually goes through onto the Breast Advocate app. So if people... Oh, fantastic. Wanting, yeah, it draws it through. Um, I think if it's if it's not open access, I think it just draws the abstract through, as I understand it from from Dr. C, from yeah. our interview, but that's a great So, do, will your listeners know what open access means? Um, they may not. Would you like to explain it to them? Yeah. So, the joys of scientific publishing is that you often need to have a subscription to a journal to be able to see the full paper. So, as a patient, mm. when I was looking for something about lobular cancer, I found a great trial, but I had to pay $20 to read the paper mm. because I didn't have access through an institution or university. That is changing and more and more journals now have open access so they're free for anybody to read. But I have often, there's a paper I really wanted and I've often put out on Twitter, does anyone have access to this journal? Could you send me the PDF? And people will do it because most people yes. are lovely. Yes, they are. They are. And yeah, thank you for highlighting that through on there as well because I have noticed as well, I think some people who are sharing on Instagram links um, or they're making reference to research articles that aren't open access. So it's actually, well, there's no, yeah, it kind of, even and though Instagram is an open account, it's like, well, actually, if it's a, if it's a gated uh, it information, then there's no use. And it's really hard to share a link because if you put a link to a website and Instagram caption, you can't click on it. No, no. You almost have to go onto thing. your phone and cut and paste. and copy. So it's really, really hard to share information. Mm. But going back yeah. to sharing papers, I can take a sentence out of a discussion of a paper, which is actually talking about the negatives, but they can say, oh, but this is really good. Mm. A tiny sentence from an academic paper may not be telling you the real results. You can mm. cherry pick to prove your point. Yeah. And how yeah, many of us quite... have the knowledge to read a full paper and understand the biases and what this means to me and the statistics? It's mm. really, mm. really hard to, it's actually, no, it's very easy to deep the, the general public to make yeah. your point. It's almost like, um, it's, it's, like a uh, academic clickbait. <laughs> like, yeah, it is. Like, it's attention-grabbing yeah. headlines. This backs up my theory, therefore I will reference this paper. But when someone yeah. like me goes away and actually reads the paper and says, no, this is bollocks, you can't yeah. say that. Again, it's re is it lies, damn lies and statistics? That old kind of yeah. quote and it's... yeah. And I was thinking about, and I was thinking about this as well and thinking about your, you know, because you were, um, you were a surgeon and if you'd had a patient mm. that had come to you and said, oh, I've read about this on Instagram, either, either, you know, um, what would you, what would you have said so, before, you know, before you before, entered into this oh, world? Before social media, it was often something they'd seen in, in, in a tabloid paper or like there's a little, mm. late, I remember a little robot that was meant to be put inside arteries. It would have little blades that would just go around removing plaques of atherosclerosis. And they'd come and say, can I have this? I think, oh God. And I remember working at a hospital and a woman came in with two inches of 
paper of trials she'd printed off the internet. And I did not like it because I am meant to be the expert. And what does this mm. patient think she's doing telling me what to do? And I think, oh, or when when there's a big new release. So say Angelina Jolie had her breast cancer prevention thing and everyone comes in, I want that, I want that. I, I didn't like it. Mm. And then I became a patient and I had to ask my own oncologist about a trial that might help me that I had seen on social media. And the, the embarrassment I felt about going to her saying, I think I might know better. It was really, really, really hard. Mm. We don't like being challenged. But once you're a patient, it's doctors look after hundreds of people. They are not experts in you. They are experts in the disease. But as a patient, there may be a trial that I don't know about, that my doctor doesn't know about, that I want to find out. And I think it's trying to help doctors realize we're not undermining you. We're just desperate to make sure we get the best treatment. But it then yeah. takes time. If you've got a 10-minute appointment and they say, what about this? I've never heard of it. I now need to bring you back for another appointment so I can go away and look into this. But I don't not have the time. I might have access to the paper. It's really, really hard. It is. And there's that, that um, we've talked about it on the pod before. There's that power imbalance, isn't there, of, mm. of knowledge, of standing. And, you know, even for me as well, you know, if depending on which... Uh, health professional you're seeing it might be that you're partly undressed as well or you're you're led on yep. the bed or whatever it's you know there is that imbalance there and I used to have some questions you know it might be something actually DFC um it was like something I'd read on there that I wanted to ask a surgeon and I, I just felt really uncomfortable asking this question but really had to step up because yeah. as you say we we do need to self-advocate respectfully questioning and is a is a is a good is a good thing but it yeah. can be a bit a little bit a little bit awkward sometimes, can't it? And it can be hard if you follow your doctor on social media. You feel like you know us personally, which yes, changes yes. that relationship. Again, there's a whole other dynamic. You can be overly friendly yeah. or high and, you know, naturally, I'm the doctor. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, like we just said, like I said at the opening of this podcast, you know, I can hear you. Mm. You're in my internal audio book as I'm reading your book. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> so yeah. there is that kind of familiarity that comes from that. Yeah, it is. It is hard. I mean, how do you see maybe social media evolving, um, and in how you're using it? Do you see, like, I'm asking you um, to not not to predict, but how do you see it's kind of playing out? I think it's we are in interesting times with the development of AI and ChatBT, and again, did someone actually write this information or has a, a robot written it for them? I think that's really really interesting to learn what is good and what isn't. And lots of people are now using AI to help them write podcasts and posts. And not everyone is doing that deeper learning bit to tweak it. So I think it's really, really interesting. Mm. People are craving video more and more and more. I think with the young people, so that sounds really bad, people in their 20s and 30s are now going to YouTube instead of Google mm. to get their information. And I think if you want to educate people and you're not using social media, you are missing a trick. But it's, I've lost my train of thought now, I really worry about how we know information is coming from accredited source. And there may be things. So in the UK, we're trying to launch like a, a, a PIFTIC, a patient information, patient information expert. So mm. people are accredited. If you put information out there, you have to prove that it's accurate, it's researched. Here are the links to the resources. So you are known as a trustworthy source when you are speaking about this. Right. And I'd love That's to see right. that develop so you know these people are doing the work to make sure what they are putting out is evidence-based and accurate. You can trust them. And oh, I think we I almost like that. need that level now to say, mm. you're just a member of the general public saying something that you've heard, and it may be true, but we need to prove it's true. So patients can then know, okay, X said it, but did Y and Z say it as well? 
Yeah. Yeah, I've not heard of that before. That sounds amazing. Um, I mean, I don't put out any information myself other than about myself because I am not a subject matter expert at all. But I think especially with the rise of patient advocates and the expansion that we're getting of hearing those stories. Mm. So the PIFTIC, did you say it was called? I think it's called a PIF a PIF tick. It's done for companies, yeah. but they're just starting to look at doing it for yeah. individuals. Yeah. But I think one thing, patient advocacy is really, really interesting. And a lot of people want to get into it. I might get asked, what do you do? How do you start talking? It's, are you a patient advocate for people that have your exact type of cancer? Or do you want to help people with breast cancer generally? Mm. And often, and this is the thing I don't like about social media, it's the people like complaints, the people who shout the loudest to get heard, and often it's people who've had a bad experience or a traumatic or an exaggerated experience who are talking about it saying, I didn't get this, it's not fair, we all need this, I don't understand. Mm. And most people who are living with cancer aren't on social media telling their stories, a bit like TripAdvisor. Mm. The reality is often the bulk that you don't see and you are guided by the extremes at both ends. Yeah. And often those patients talking are white and middle class and educated who know how to use social media and follow it. And how mm. can we make sure that the information we get is from a truly diverse space? Because my, my opinion is biased by the people who follow me who are mainly white and middle class and educated. Yeah. yeah. I know that. It, how can yeah. I be a true advocate for the Muslim community, for people whose English isn't the first language, for the refugees, for the homeless with cancer, when we can't hear them. And I think there's yeah. a real danger of digital literacy dividing health in the future. Yeah. I, I am really, really interested in this and um, talking about this, particularly around patient advocates that work with um, charitable organizations or not-for-profits mm. because um you know if you get asked to be involved and share your story I find sometimes with those it's really like well who are we asking and you know what is happening with yeah. regards to if somebody needs to take a day out to go and do something be part of yes. a round table be part of a discussion so what what is happening there are expenses being paid for childcare or travel expenses or if somebody needs to take a day off work because if we don't do that we don't have a diversity of representation that's happening in those spaces so yeah. that's where i find it really interesting and yeah what is the what is the reason be- behind this advocacy and as you said you know shouting the loudest i, I saw somebody um in the last year or so let's say um and mm-hmm. they'd been um, they'd been um, turned down for a Dieppe uh, flap reconstruction because their BMI was too high, and they'd mentioned it in um, mm-hmm. in social media. And the first thing that you know, and um, for anyone listening, that that's you know, it can be that you know they've been advised by their surgeon that they needed to do that. So it was a, a safety thing about risk, um, yeah, to the patients. And the first thing a, a patient advocate jumped on was like, you need to write to your MP. Like, and it's like, really, you know, yeah. really? Um, let's, and it kind of riled this group up. It, it can be dangerous. So you can stir up a flash mob to make something happen that shouldn't. And I've been guilty myself when I'm, I'm having a bad day. I've got stuff going on. I see a clip of a video. Someone sent it to me and I go, I think I shouldn't have done that. I didn't read mm. it properly. Um, yeah. I need to go back and apologize and remove it and do things in a calm space. But when you're an advocate and you've got a group of people who are all saying no one understands and we want this and it's not fair. And mm. that time and energy, I get where they're feeling, but there are other ways mm. to direct it. And it's how do you learn to be an advocate for the greater good mm. and not your own personal mission campaign? And it's it's really hard. Mm. There are no rules. No. 
I, I'm, um, I do believe in, in mentoring um, and looking towards what it is to be a mentor, I think, if you're a patient advocate. And it is, you know, what are, what are you? I've, yeah. So, like, you know, men, I've got a background in mentoring and academic mentoring um, students. And I, I find that that's something that I would really like to see maybe more of that really understanding of. I love that. Your, yeah, not telling somebody, you know, I do hear that quite a bit. And people are passionate. They're coming from this great place, but it doesn't necessarily always serve well. So I think that's mentoring is something that I'd love to see a little bit no. more opened up into, into that. And, you know, there's a difference between advocacy and representation. There's a difference between advocacy and lobbying as somebody from a for-profit organization presenting themselves as an advocate. I just think it's really mm. a fascinating space to look into. Um but um, going back to thinking about the future of uh, social media, I've I've been really surprised with TikTok um, information being consumed on TikTok now. Um, I'm not really on TikTok, but um, yes. I know a lot of people are starting to put information out there and people are looking for information on there. I was really surprised by that, actually. Yeah. And I, I was told to go on it by an incredible Australian woman I met. She's got a huge following and I started, but it was just I couldn't cope with doing it for another platform. No, and this is just reposting no. it, but building that community. But again, people are desperate for information and they go where the audience is and they go where they are. Yeah, yeah. But it's just, I guess, um, I'm just one of those people that sort of, yeah, I've not been on TikTok, so I don't really understand it. Maybe I should go and understand it a little bit more. So I, th I think TikTok is more gimmicky. You've got the fancy reels and the, the hands mm. going and the lip syncing. It's, there's a lot more... They want entertaining videos and a lot of doctors don't have the time to stand and film and point and do this and add in the captions, which is why I kind of stepped away. I didn't have time yeah. to lip sync a video and work out how I can relate that to this. But that's where people are going. Yeah, yeah. I just I find it really interesting. Um, but I guess I, I start to think then, am I, am I viewing it and I'm not going to look at that space? I've not investigated that space myself to understand it. And I, and I know that I don't want to be guilty of what others do because I, you know, some feedback that I've had from people in Australia who aren't even on Instagram is yeah. that um, I'm kind of, you know, well, you're coming across as a cancer influencer. And I'm like, well, you know, one thing, I, I never want to influence cancer. Do you know what I mean? It's not quite the right term. But also, are you on Instagram? Do you really know yeah. what's happening on there? Come on, have a look and then let's talk about it. But um, yeah, I think I probably need to go and do that on, on TikTok yeah. as well. I think you have to think of it as a job. Mm. And you can't be an ex you can't be a TV and a, and a radio and a, an Instagram. So you've got to pick one. I think if Instagram is yeah. your place, then you know it. You just focus on that with your audience there. You can't worry mm. about anything else because if no. you're on every channel, you're not doing it properly. So I would say yeah. TikTok is fine. People can find what they like on TikTok. It's not my job mm. to debunk stuff on there. I'm putting mm. my information out on this channel. And I think if you think of it like that, you can mm. really focus on what you want to do. Because then you spend you don't have, you spend no time with your family or your friends because you're always on no. your phone looking at all these different screens and doom scrolling and yes life's yeah. too short. Thank you so much, uh, Liz. This has been great to talk to you about this, and I could really get into talking more about the patient advocacy. But um, I want to talk about the book. I just want to talk about okay. it as I. Um, because I was really interested. Do you want to tell us a bit about the book? But I was. Uh, really interested as well about the process of getting it published because I know oh, yes um, yes and I just wondered if we could talk a little bit about that because it is really fascinating yeah so I my memoir is called Under the Knife um, Life Lessons from the Operating Theatre and 
I wanted the public to understand how hard it is to train to become a doctor because there's awful a lot of doctor bashing and actually to be a cancer specialist, to deal with that emotion, to make decisions is really, really hard. But I actually wanted to talk about my mental health and it was something I was too scared to talk about as a doctor because I was scared of what patients might thought. What if colleagues find out they think I'm a crazy woman? I'd had depression most of my life, but as a consultant, I was suicidal twice just through the stress of being a consultant surgeon and dealing with that emotion. And then would people be interested in what it's like to be a breast surgeon who's had breast cancer? And I wrote it during lockdown and my agent and I sent it out to about 10 different publishers. And they all said, no, we like the book, but no one will read it. There are too many medical memoirs out there. You don't have a big enough following on Instagram. As I said, it's only 2000 followers. We're really, really sorry. And I was gutted because I thought, I think my story will help people. I think it's funny. I want them to know, again, the sexual harassment, what it's like being a woman in a man's mm. world. I wanted to get it out there. And it was through Twitter. I got a DM from a woman who used to work at Unbound, which is a proper publishing agency. But what they say is, if you can crowdfund the money we need to produce the book, then it'll get produced like any normal publishing house. And it's somewhere between 10 and 20,000 pounds, depending on your book. And I thought, right, okay, I can do this. But the thought of having to ask people to buy a book that might not be published, because if you don't raise the money, everyone gets their money back. I hate asking people for things. It was yeah. really, really hard, but I crowdfunded it in 10 days wow. from my online community who yeah. I've been nurturing and and giving information out. And I was like, wow, there's a reason why I do this. I have all these people who believe in me and it's just, and all their names are in the back of the book. And it's just <sighs> lovely to see all yeah. these people who trusted in me and believed in me and just a way of saying thank you. So it's, it's like a book for them in a way. Yeah, it is a real community community sourced book yeah funded it is. Book, shall we? yeah yeah because yeah. it is I, really hard to get into the publishing it get into the publishing world I think if you're not in it you don't understand it you think it's crazy so yeah. it's been lovely yeah. to do it this way yeah I am really um I am enjoying reading it but what you just said there about how much work's involved for a doctor I just I just finished um one section of it where it was talking about one of your shifts I was just like, mm. oh my word, oh my, I just cannot believe just how, how that shift kind of went, which I'm sure many shifts went like that, but I just couldn't believe how much work was in there. I kind of knew it was hard work, but, um, but it is for listeners, it is a, um, I'm really, really enjoying it. And, um, there is, it is funny. There are a lot of funny, it is funny. There are a lot of funny stories. There's, there's there the are, things, yeah. that, places where the sun doesn't shine and, and yeah, yeah, it's, it's not all that, doom and gloom. It's, it's not I was gonna say you do talk about your mental health but you do there are funny aspects to it and I was just saying before we started I think you've written the um my most favorite phrase from a book um this year so the phrase is there's an art to groin fumbling and I just thought it was hilarious <laughs> and that was like in the first that like the first chapter I think it was and I was like oh, I'm gonna enjoy this so um do check it out listeners it is a, um, a great book and a great story behind funding it um Thanks so much, Liz, uh, for joining us today. It's been great to to chat to you. I love everything that you're doing out on social media. I love the reels. I think the way you do them is just is just amazing. And you know, I, I can see the research that's gone into that. And I know that you um, you get the latest research, evidence based research. So um, thank you for all the work that you do for our community. So that you know this really hard rocky path that we have is made a bit easier. Thank you so much.
No, you're welcome. And if anyone out there wants to start, go and have a look at my Instagram. I'm a rear list. See what I do. Copy what I do. Small yeah. bite-sized information explained with really simple words. And just yeah. use people you like. Copy it. Get it out there. Start for yourself. Because yeah, amazing things can happen. Like we met yeah. when I'm talking yes. to you on a podcast in Australia. It's bonkers. All yeah. through Instagram. It is. And we've got all these connections, which we've mentioned other people across yeah. as well. It is It is really fabulous. I'm going to put um, a link to where you can find Liz in the show notes. So I'll put a link to Instagram and link to the book and, and everything that will go in there. So thanks again, Liz. But before we go, we have uh, the lyric or poem uh, add-on that we have here. So regular listeners will know that I'll ask a guest to uh, share a line or a lyric from a song or poem. Um, or both. Uh, what would you like to share with listeners, Liz? I've got both, I think, are really relevant to what we've been talking about. And the first is a line from a poem by an incredible author called Donna Ashworth. So my mum died of bone cancer before Christmas and I was really, really struggling. And mm. she has a book of poems about grief. And there's just one line I want to read that just really touches me. And the poem itself mm. is called Once a Day. And it says, when I am gone, don't miss me more than once or twice a day. There's so much life to live, my love. I'm with you all the way. Oh, yeah. And it's an incredible book of poems for anyone who has lost anybody at any time. And I keep going back to it and just, it helps keep me going through the dark days. But going yeah. back to social media, when I had, when my cancer came back, I went back to singing. I used to love it. I'm in a rock choir. And we sang a song last term from the Buggles in 1979. I remember dancing to you when I was about seven or eight. But this is the lyric. Video killed the radio star. Pictures came and broke your heart. Great. They're very different quotes and I love them both for very, very different reasons. <laughs> um, thank you so much. I'll put a link as well, I think, to Donna's book in the show notes as well for anyone that wants to, um, want to look that up. Thank you again, Liz. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I hope you've got something lovely planned for the rest of the day. We're finishing our day here in Australia, but I hope you have a great day ahead of you. Oh, thank you. It's been great to chat, Luanne. Great. Thanks, Liz. And thanks to listeners. Um, thanks for listening, as always. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow, rate, share and review. Um, if you do do a review, what it does help is it helps in the listing. So it means actually more people in the community will see this podcast. Um, so yeah, pop a review on there for us. And as always, DM me if there's anything that you'd like me to talk about. Um, we have lots of podcasts that are lined up. And as always, thanks very much again, Liz and the audience. Goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to the Rewritten Me podcast, produced on the traditional lands of the Kamaray Gal people of the Gurungai tribe of the Eora Nation. If you found any of the content upsetting, please reach out and get help. Breast Cancer Network Australia have a free confidential helpline, 1800 500 258. And Beyond Blue have a range of free resources online at beyondblue.org.au. Or you can call them on 1300 224 636. And a reminder that the information in this podcast does not constitute medical advice. For personalised medical advice, you should seek a consult with a FRAX qualified surgeon or an equally qualified surgeon in your country.